Good morning once again, and welcome to those that are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. We are blessed that you chose to worship with us this morning. Tomorrow, Memorial Day, <clears throat> we remember those that served in the armed forces to preserve the freedoms that we have. They put it all on the line against evil and keep a place in this world that has some civility, opportunities for us and our families and safe place to live. It seems impossible that in our modern society, a leader out of greed or desire to be famous can invade and conquer new territories. These things are happening at more than just the world level as leaders of governments and extremist groups seek to push their agendas on everyone. But what about us? What if we are not called to serve on the battlefield? What can we do today? Consider these verses. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Many assume the term meek means to be weak, tame, deficient in courage. But the biblical understanding of meekness is power under control. Meek people seek, meek people exercise power, but for the benefit of all people, not just ourselves. We are not to hide and let others run over us, but to be active both mentally and physically. Romans 12:21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 1 Peter 3:11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. And lastly, in Matthew 5:9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Lord, I pray that we turn from evil, do good, and be the peacemakers in our homes, community, and in some small way to the world. And would you please rise and join me in the call to worship? The call to worship is taken from Psalm 96. Sing to the new Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. All the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families and nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creations rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He judges to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. And now let us sing with the praise team, Holy Spirit come and Holy Spirit.
let's bow for a word of prayer. Father God, thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are and what you do for each and every one of us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together in your church this morning. Thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask at this time for you to continue to guide the ministries of First Church. We lift up all those involved in leading our ministries. May your spirit be with them as they lead this congregation and all those connected to First Church. May they continue to trust in you and lean on you for direction. Thank you for blessing them with the desire to please you and make you first in their lives. Help us all understand that none of this is what we do. It's not about us. Rather, it's all about worshiping you. We also take this opportunity to lift up all those that are hurting, going through trials and difficulties, and in need of comfort, healing, and strengthening. There are many folks noted in our bulletin this morning that have particular needs. You know exactly what these needs are. And we pray for your provision in their lives. But Lord, as you know, this is only a few of the people that require your healing and guiding touch. We lift up all those that are struggling at this time. The struggles and difficulties we experience are not always pleasant and enjoyable, but they can be used to help us grow spiritually stronger with you. So we ask for your blessings upon each and every one going through difficult times. We know that you are a good God and a God that wants nothing but the best for each and every one of us. We know that you are sovereign and always in control. But your control isn't always seen by many as we watch the unholy things that are going on in today's society. We live in a fallen world, a world that is sinful, corrupt, and lost. A world that speaks so much untruth. Lord, we ask that you would heal our broken nation and our world as well. We see the division that is being created through the author of lies, the devil. He's the master of division, destruction, and death. We pray that you would give us the strength to speak truth to others so that they may open their eyes, ears, and minds to the truth of your word. We also pray for pastors across this nation and world to be bold and preach all of your word not just the things that we want to hear and the things that make us feel good, but all of it. Like you told Joshua many years ago, to be strong and courageous, we too need to be strong and courageous and stand firm and speak the truth of your word. Lord, we're most thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the ultimate sacrifice you made by sending your son to the cross to shed his blood, the sins of every person in this world. We pray all of these things in his gracious and holy name as we join together in the prayer he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
As Brian mentioned during our announcements this morning, today is graduation Sunday. Uh, we have an opportunity to recognize our high school graduates today, um, and we're really glad to have four out of five of them here with us this morning. So at this time, I want to invite them forward. Uh, we have Kaylee Egbert, Mia Metzger, Emma Peoples, and Allison Top. I invite you guys to come forward and join us up front. All right. Doesn't it feel like just yesterday that you were up here giving your faith statements, like shaking in your boots because you were nervous? <laughs> it's hard to believe that four years has gone by and you guys have grown and experienced so many different highs and lows in life. Um, and we're excited to see what God does in your life moving forward um, because he has taken you all on very different paths throughout your high school careers, um, and you guys will continue on different paths uh, after you graduate today at like 2 o'clock, right? <laughs> so my prayer for you guys, for your class from the very beginning, has always been that you would be deeply rooted in Christ, um, that you would know his love, and that you would love him and serve him with all that you have. And that's still my prayer for you guys. Um, as you stand here on graduation Sunday, I pray that you continue to keep Christ at the center of your life and that wherever you go, wherever he leads you, um, whatever job or, you know, college, whatever it is that you've chosen, um, that you would make sure that he is at the center of it all um, and that you are living for him and loving him and spreading that love to the world around you as well. So my advice for you as you graduate today is keep pushing into Jesus. Press into him, not only in the good times, but also in the hard times as well, because he will guide you, he will comfort you, he will challenge you, he will encourage you and equip you to become the people that he has created you to be. So keep pushing into him um, and know that he loves you no matter what. And we love you as a church and we're here for you and we support you. And we're so excited to see what God is going to do in this next chapter of your life. So don't be a stranger. You know, graduation <laughs> Sunday is the end of a chapter, but it doesn't have to be the end of you hanging out here with us because uh, we love you and we are your church family. And so we're here for whatever you need um, and we will miss you, but we're excited to see what God does in your future. Awesome. And just as four years ago, we had an opportunity to pray over you on Confirmation Sunday. We'd love to pray over you again prayer as we pray for these students. Father God, we thank you for the young people graduating this year. Thank you for your provision and love for them in this season of their lives, as, their, as this season of their lives comes to a close. We ask that you watch over them in the years to come. Whatever they may find themselves doing, I pray that they do it for your glory. Help them keep you at the center of their lives. Lord God, I pray that, you ha that they have a firm foundation in you and in your word and that they would build their lives on that solid foundation. Jesus, we ask that you be with them, that you watch over them and guide them in all their future endeavors. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. We do have a gift for you guys, but um, it'll, for, for easy, for, to make it easy on you guys, uh, we'll just ask you to pick those up after the service. So don't forget to grab those before you guys go. Thank you for being here today. And again, keep praying for these young people um, and all the young people in our schools and our, you know, in this season of life. Um, church family, I encourage you to continue to support and pray for them. You guys can be seated. And at this time, I believe, if I have my bulletin handy here, it is time to invite the kids forward for children's chat. So let's take this opportunity to come forward and join Mr. Clinton up front. Children's chat. 
Might have lots of room today. Good morning. Have a seat right. I'm coming right back. Don't worry. I won't get lost. Oh, man. Oh. We're moving over there. We're moving. Let's get up and move. Let's go over here. They voted. They vote with their feet. What do you think? Should I stand in front of you or stay behind you? Or what do you think? They're really... All right, we're excited. Here we go. We'll go can everybody see me? Every, oh, got a few more. How are you guys? Talkative? Tired? Anybody camping this weekend? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, tired, huh? Not quite the same as being in bed. Well, good morning. Today I brought a few things with me. Does anybody know what this bad boy is for? What do we use this for? What's that for? Measuring? Measuring? Some of them have measures on them. You're right. Actually, this one, this one doesn't. This is a fancy one with no numbers on it. What do you think? Leveling. leveling things. So why do I need a level? What's, what good is this? Why would I? Have you used one of these before? Yeah? What would you do? What would you level with it? Just use it as a toy. Cool. I bet Dad loved that. That's really good on them when they <laughs> clang batter. Well, okay. Well, this is a, kind of an important tool. So um, we're in construction season right now at our house, but we bu- we build things kind of all the time. And what does a level help us do? Well, it helps us make sure everything is nice and flat. So I can look here and say, "You are so level-headed," right? <laughs> See? Yeah. These are the jokes. This is as good as it's going to get. The great thing about a level is, is it, it helps us know uh, that we're building something correctly. So if I'm going to build a wall in my house, do you think it should be leaning off to the side a little bit? Or do we want it to be right up and down? What do you think? You like an angled wall? <laughs> got it. Got it. That's maybe not what we're hoping for. We'll have to wait and see. Um, a funny story. My dad had a level and it was broken. It didn't have the bubbles were wrong. And we were working on something like all day. And I looked at it and I said, man, that is that is so it's leaning really bad. And then dad goes, oh, yeah, that level's no good. So we used the level the entire day and it was everything was at a level or plumb rather. So it, it, it was leaning pretty good. So we had to fix it. I actually broke the level in half and threw it across the building because I was super excited about that work. So, well, today I also brought one other thing. What's this bad boy for? This is my favorite one. This is fantastic. Yep, I brought one of these before. This is my favorite because um, I'm not an awesome carpenter. Sometimes I cut boards twice and they're still too short. Did you know that? If you cut a board twice, it could still be too short. So I didn't bring my board stretcher. If you've, You ever see a board stretcher before? Okay, I'll send you out to look for one later. That's all right. Well, today's Bible story is not really about building something. But instead, it is a Bible story about King David. We remember King David? Like the same shepherd boy David, the rock, Goliath. Now I'm a king. I'm a big deal. I make some mistakes, but I'm still a big deal. Well, David is going and doing a project. He's doing some work. And so I've got tools here today to kind of talk about how it helps us do our work and do it right and do it well and correctly. But in today's Bible story... David, he starts off really well. He starts off really good, um, but he kind of loses his way a little bit. Um, And so the Bible story is all about uh, how God is in our lives and through the Bible can speak to us and through prayer can speak to us and help us understand what we're supposed to do with our lives. Not only the what we do, but also how we do it. 
And so today, during the Bible story, you ready? This is crazy. You've got to listen. I want to hear a gasp. Because in the Bible story today, someone dies. They are killed. God kills somebody today in the Bible story. It's crazy. It's crazy. But the idea is... You'll wait. Okay. The idea is that God is there in our lives to tell us what to do and how to do it as well. And so someone kind of made a mistake, and this is like old school God where he's a little growly, and he, uh, he strikes someone down. Poor Uzzah. All right? So listen to the Bible story today, and then Pastor Joel's going to share a message too, I think, about the same one. And we're going to think the next time you're out in the shop or you're helping with a level or helping with some tools, think about how God can be part of your life to help you understand what you're supposed to do, the work, and how to do it. Sound like a plan? All right, this is really good today. Hey, leave that alone. Abigail, leave that alone. All right, let's hold our hands in a quick prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning, these young hearts and minds. Lord, just continue, please pour into them all of your goodness and love and wisdom that they may grow in their knowledge of you um, and in stature with you, Lord. So bless them and protect them as they go from this place and in all the days to come until we meet in your kingdom. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mr. Clinton. You guys can head back to your seats. Thanks for joining us up front here for Children's Chat. As the choir comes forward for special music this morning, I do want to just reiterate a couple things that Brian reminded us of this morning. Uh, first of all, this is uh, choir's last Sunday for the season. I'm really grateful for Beth and her leadership in the choir, as well as uh, the members of the choir blessing us with music just about every Sunday this season. So we're really grateful for them and, and their ministry and in the way that they bless our services through that. So um, let's take a moment. Let's thank them for all that they've done this, this season. I also want to just remind us that today is, or this weekend is Memorial Day, and I want to take an opportunity, a moment this morning to reflect on that as well. Uh, scripture tells us that greater love has no one than this, that a man should lay down his life for another. Of course, we know the ultimate example of that is in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection and the benefit that that provides for all who believe in him. Uh, but Memorial Day is an opportunity for us to reflect and remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice serving our country. And, of course, uh, we, do, we want to um, honor them and, and the sacrifice that they made. Uh, it's also an opportunity for us to remember those who served and, ha- were, and were able to return home. They may not have given the ultimate sacrifice, but they certainly sacrificed much in order to serve their country and to, and to help ensure the freedoms that we have, such as the freedom to worship freely here in this place this morning. So I want to take an opportunity, if there are any veterans of our armed services this morning, I just want to invite you to stand and be recognized as we can say thank you for all that you've done for us. Collect our offering.
I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves, where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come on this place and fill the atmosphere. Your Glory, God is one.
please remain standing for the scripture this morning. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, page one, page 411. The reading today is from First Chronicles, chapter 13. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our people throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands, to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So David assembled all Israel from the Shahor River in Egypt to Lebo Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath Jearim. David and all Israel went to Bela of Judah, Kiriath Jearim, to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name. They moved to the ark of God from Abinadad's house on a new cart, with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God, with songs and with harps, lyres, timbrels, cymbals, and trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Kadan, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the ox stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months. And the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. Lord, help us to pause now, set aside our distractions, and focus on you and in you alone. We thank you for your word, which is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand it and apply it to our lives. We ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. And may you give me words to speak, words that are honoring and pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So recently in our Bible in a Year reading plan, we, we switched over from Second Kings to First Chronicles. And for those of you who are following along, you notice something, right? That First Chronicles begins the story of Israel, the story of God's people, really all over again. By the end of Second Kings, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah had been destroyed. God's people had been sent into exile. And at the beginning of First Chronicles, those stories seem to start over again. See, Chronicles is so far which is why it begins with the genealogies beginning with Adam and moves all the way through the, the tribes of, of Israel and all the way to David's story in about 10 or 11 chapters. It's a very quick pace, to say the least, right? And a lot of what we read in Samuel and Kings is kind of glossed over or not mentioned at all here at the start 
of Chronicles. And so as you're reading, you're thinking, okay, this is, this is a summary. These things are important. But there's parts in the narrative where the pace slows down and the same stories that we read in First and Second Samuel or First and Second Kings are repeated again in detail in First and Second Chronicles. And it's at those moments that we need to pause and, re- and realize something important is happening here, right? Of all of the things that the chronicler could have included in his summary of Israel's history up to this point, there are certain stories that he felt inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, to relay in detail again. We have our graduates here today, and they'll, they'll be the first to tell you that if a teacher repeats themselves, something must be important, right? That they better pay attention. And so here in First Chronicles 13, we have one of those instances of one of the stories of David, in this case, bringing the ark, his attempt to bring the ark back to Jerusalem is relayed in very clear detail, very similar to the story that we read in First and Second Samuel. And so today we're going to pause and just like the chronicler and reflect on this. And the other thing I want to admit before we get started or get too far into this, I should say, is that this is not one of the stories that I would probably have chosen to preach from if it weren't for the Bible and ear plan. Now, the reason I say that is as we're reading through scripture and we read the whole counsel of God, we come across passages that are not necessarily easy to preach on, right? There's, there's plenty of passages in scripture, right? That would be at the top of the list of easy sermons to, to create or to, to preach, right? John 3:16 done it, been there, right? Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages, done that plenty of times. First Chronicles 13, this one's a little bit further down the list. And I say that because it does deal with a very difficult topic and a difficult to understand idea. You see, this story relays a very tragic incident where Uzzah, this man walking beside the ark, reaches out to touch it in order to keep it from falling And as soon as he touches the ark, it says that the Lord struck him down, right? There's that gasp Clinton was talking about, right? That's a difficult passage for us to understand. But this isn't the only one either. There's other passages that reflect the same idea. And this is what I want to quickly just remind you of. There's other instances in scripture where something tragic like this does happen. Earlier in, I believe it's Numbers after God gives instructions to Aaron and his family about how to serve the Lord in the temple, Aaron's two sons decide to do things on their own. And so they take what the Bible describes as unauthorized fire and offer it on the altar before the Lord. And in doing so, the Lord strikes them down as well. But if you think this is just an Old Testament problem, there's also the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, who in the, in the book of Acts lie to the Holy Spirit, they withhold some of the offering that they claim to be giving, and they are struck down as well. How do we deal with difficult passages like this, right? One thing I think all three of these passages have in common is a lack of respect and honor for God's holiness. See, that's what I want to talk about today is God's holiness, what it means and what it means for us to, to know and have a relationship with the holy God. See, David asks a very important question in verse 12 of the passage that Tracy read for us. He asks, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? And that's a very important question. Let me rephrase that in terms that maybe 
uh, would be easier for us to understand. How can I go into God's presence? How can I enter into the presence of a holy God? Last week when we talked about John chapter 4, we talked about how, what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth. In other words, genuine, authentic worship is, is an overflow of saving faith in Christ. And it, and it is both engaging of our head and of our heart. This week, this passage that uh, we're going to study here today is about more than worship, although it is certainly about worship as well. The focus that I want to bring to the passage today is on God's holiness. You see, in, in our relationship with God, worship included, but in all aspects of our relationship with God, we can do the right thing for the wrong reasons. All right, think of, I think of passages like Isaiah 1, where the Lord describes all of the, the sacrifices and the festivals that God's people are doing, and, and he says that, that they're worth nothing to him, that he despises them because they're doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Their heart is not in the right place. And at the same time, we can do the wrong thing for the right reasons. Right, the, the, David's desire to bring the ark to Jerusalem so that they can inquire of it and worship the Lord there is a good thing. But unfortunately, they went about it the wrong way. We know, looking back at uh, passages in Leviticus where God describes how to handle uh, his, the, the temple and the tabernacle and all the items there, including the ark, he gives very specific instructions on how to carry the ark and how to transport it. And I'll give you a hint, had nothing to do with a new cart being dragged by an ox, right? God said that the way to move the ark was, was by the Levites. The, those charged with caring for the temple were to carry the ark on poles so that no one would come in contact with it. And so David had a good and right desire to honor God and to bring the ark of the Lord to Jerusalem. Unfortunately, they just went about it the wrong way. So we have two problems described in Scripture in how we relate to God. Sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reasons, and sometimes we do the wrong thing for the right reasons. And, and both of those are problems that need to be fixed. And the, I believe the remedy for it begins with respect for God's holiness. So today we're going to talk about how we, as sinful people, are able to approach a holy God. But first, we need to start by defining holiness. And to be honest, this is one of those things that is not easy to put our finger on because it is something that is so outside of us or other from us. And that's really at the core what holiness means. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart for a specific purpose. But when we talk about God's holiness, it's, it's more than just being set apart. It also has to do with his glory, his purity, Right? He is a completely sinless God, right? and sin cannot be in his presence. And sometimes when we, I think, in our world today, when we think about God and all of his characteristics, I think holiness is sometimes forgotten about or maybe not given the attention that it deserves. In an attempt to make God more palatable to our world today, to make God more relatable, we, we emphasize God's love, we emphasize his mercy and his grace, and we de-emphasize his holiness and righteousness and those sorts of attributes. There was a movie that came out back in the 90s. I don't want to 
go into detail about the movie because it's not, I, I'm not, it's not on my recommended to watch list. I will just say that. But there were scenes in the movie about the church trying to make uh, Jesus more acceptable or more palatable to our, you know, the new and upcoming generation. And so they felt like Jesus needed to be, needed a rebranding. Jesus, right? This, this Jesus who is your best friend will never, exactly, never tell you anything wrong, never, never confront you about your sin. And they even created like this statue of this plastic shiny Jesus giving the, you know, double guns and the wink uh, to make him seem more approachable. Right? That's often what we do, whether we realize it or not, with Jesus when we de-emphasize his holiness. We try to make him into our best buddy and our best friend, which he certainly is. But we need to also remember that he is holy, he is just, he is righteous. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And we need to hold both of those things in tension. You see, the problem is, that the Lord is holy. He is completely glorious, completely pure, completely set apart. And we are not. And so it is impossible for us in the state that we're in to enter into God's presence. And that's exactly what was going through the prophet Isaiah's mind in Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, this is the famous vision that he has of the Lord. He was ministering in the temple and then all of a sudden he sees a vision of the Lord's glory filling the temple. I want to read just a few verses from Isaiah 6. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's verse 5. This is Isaiah's reaction to this. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, that is the proper response to witnessing God's glory, his holiness, his majesty, is a recognition that he is holy and we are not. So there's a problem that needs to be overcome, right? There's a problem that needs to be remedied if we are to approach a holy God. And the Old Testament laws and regulations were an example of it. They helped to bridge the gap, but they weren't sufficient for what we need. There were sacrifices for sin. There were rules and regulations about cleanliness for purity. But the problem is that they were not sufficient. It was like placing a band-aid on a bullet wound, right? It hinted at the solution, but was not enough for us. The reason God prescribed those sacrifices, the reason God prescribed all those regulations and rules around worship was to help us understand who Jesus is and why he came. And the problem in First Chronicles 13 is that David and company did not follow those laws. And as a result, Uzzah died when he reached out and touched the ark. You see, you cannot approach a holy God in your, on your own. One slip up, one oversight, and you're a goner like Uzzah, like Aaron's two sons, like Ananias and Sapphira. You see, even with those rules and regulations, the, the, tr- the problem was they didn't fix us at our core. 
That's why the psalmist in Psalm 24 reflects on, after, uh, reflects on God's glory and who is allowed to go into his presence. Psalm 24, verses 1 through 4. It says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. How many of you can say that is true of you all the time? That has a pure heart. How many of us can say that we have clean hands that have never done anything wrong? How many of you can swear that you've never, not even once, put your trust in something besides the Lord? Of course, none of us can say that, myself included. There's only one person who's ever lived that can answer those questions, and that is Jesus himself. Psalm 24 is pointing us forward to the reality that Jesus is that person who can enter into God's presence. He is the only one who can approach the Father. He is fully God and fully man, united together forever in his person. Jesus is the one who can approach God. He's the one who can enter into his presence. And the amazing thing is if you look at Jesus's ministry in the Gospels, you see the exact opposite happening with Jesus that happened to Uzzah in the ark in 1 Chronicles 13. Right, what happens to Uzzah when he, reached, when, he, when he reached out and touched the ark? He was gone like that. Because he was a, a sinful person, right, approaching a holy God. But in Jesus, we have a holy God and a holy person, right, united together in, in the incarnation. And he is reaching out and saving us. A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, no earthly remedy was possible for her. She reaches out and touches the hem of his robe and instantly she's healed. Lepers who were considered unclean and unable to even participate in worship or daily life are healed in the presence of Jesus. He reaches out and touches them. And the normal way that it worked was that if an unclean object touched a clean object, that clean object became unclean. But in Jesus, you see the opposite happening. The un, Jesus, as the perfectly clean, pure person, he reaches out and touches what is supposed to be unclean, and he makes it clean. You see, in Jesus, those things are being reversed. They are being made new. And so in Christ, we can now approach the holy God with confidence. Last week, we celebrated, we remembered the ascension where the fully human Jesus forever in God's is, is now reigning and ruling forever with God the Father in his presence. And scripture says that our lives are now hidden in God. Colossians 3.3 3 says your life is hidden in Christ. Ephesians 2.6 says that you are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. In other words, because Christ can enter the Father's presence, you can too. Not on your own merit, not because you've earned it or you deserve it, but because your life is hidden in Christ. So you now have confidence, you can have confidence to approach the Holy God. In Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, the author says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, 
having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. See, we can now go where where no one was able to go before because Jesus went there for us. And if we are united with Christ in his death and his resurrection, then we are also able to go with him into the presence of the Father without fear, without trepidation, and with the full confidence that faith brings. That's how we're able to approach a holy God. That's how we can stand in his presence with confidence and hope because of what Jesus did for us. Now, this is not an opportunity for us to just cast away the rules or, or throw them off. We still need to approach God on his terms, not our own. But the movement is away from fear and trepidation, right? Because we are maybe unsure of our, of our standing before God. But because of Christ, we can now have confident hope. And so we're able to continue, we're able to approach a holy God with respect, knowing that he is God and that we are not. A few weeks ago, King Charles was, was crowned King of England. There's an interesting moment in the, in the ceremony where he is, of course, there's all the pomp and circumstance, right, associated with the ceremony. And at one point, his child knelt before him and pledged his fealty and loyalty to him as king. Now, there's an interesting relationship going on there, and I'm not going to get into the details of the royal family. I could care less about that part of it. But what you saw there was a, a two relationships coming together as one. You had a, a subject pledging his loyalty to his king, right? A very formal, important thing with a lot of respect. But he was also a child of the king, kneeling before his father, right? And both of those things were true at the same time. And I'm here to tell you that because of Jesus, both of those things are true for you. He is still Lord. He is still God. He is worthy of all respect and honor and glory due his name. But we also have the privilege of coming before him as his child, kneeling before the throne. We come before him with all humility, acknowledging that we do need a savior, that we are unable to enter under our own merit, but that we fully depend on the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from sin. And we approach him with serious joy. Our worship, our relationship with God is all an expression of gratitude and thanksgiving for who he is and what he's done for us. And finally, we also have to acknowledge, so, so we approach God through Christ, but we also understand that in Christ and through Christ, we are also being made holy to live in this world. Again, we, in Leviticus and repeated in First Peter, there's this command, be holy as I am holy. And our first thought is, of course, we can't be holy on our own. Our sinfulness makes that impossible. But in Christ, we are being made holy. We're being set apart. We are being made pure. We are being, uh, being made new, all because of what Christ has done for us. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, what it's saying is that our sin is being removed in Christ, but in turn we are also receiving his righteousness. Pastor Tim Keller once said that God loves us so much he accepts us just the way we are, and he also loves us enough not to leave us that way. So in Christ we are being made new, we are being renewed 
Or to put it another way, we are being made holy because Christ has given us new life and he has given us his Holy Spirit to help us to become more like him. Second Peter 1 reminds us that, that God has already given us everything we need to live a holy life. He has given us his Holy Spirit to work in us, to help bring about those things in us that will make us holy. It's the Holy Spirit who helps us to live out the fruits of the Spirit, right? Those divine characteristics that are growing in us, like love and patience and kindness. It's the Holy Spirit that helps us to love God and our neighbor better and better each day. Being holy means to live like Jesus. So that means that we're going to be set apart, living as foreigners and exiles in this world. It means, yes, that we are called to avoid worldly sinful activities and we are called to pursue godly Christ-like things. But we do it in His strength and in His power, not our own. We're called to be holy, but we must remember that our holiness is derivative. We don't produce it on our own. We receive it from Christ. And so we must stay connected to the source in order to remain holy. You see, David's question all the way back in verse 12 deserves a better answer. How can I ever bring the ark of God to me? Well, the truth is that he can't. He can't bring the ark to him. There's nothing that he can do to bring it to himself. The ark has to come to him. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is the one who makes us holy. Jesus reaches out and makes a way for us to enter into God's presence. So who can, who can enter into God's presence without fear and trepidation? Only Jesus can. And he makes a way for us through his blood and through a relationship with him. That's how you can approach a holy God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you that you, for your holiness, your righteousness, your justice, all those things, Lord, that separate you from, every, from us. Lord, you are holy and we are not. But in Christ, you have made a way for us to know you and to love you and to be in a relationship with you. And in Christ, we can approach you and worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We thank you for Jesus, for his blood shed for us. And we thank you that you invite us to know you, to love you, and serve you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing our closing song in Christ alone.
you to go today in the full confidence that faith brings, knowing that because of Christ, you can enter into the presence of our holy God and that by his blood, we are being made. We are made holy, made new through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He is working that in us every day. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.